as swift as life is. It is a marathon. marathoner Joshua Thompson. He has competed in 11 marathons around the globe and is in the midst of preparing for his 12th. As we have so often discovered with our successful athletes on the journey, he is also an award-winning orchestra director. Today he is taking us into his life as an athlete and along the route of a marathon and we will find out how he saves a child miles away, drifting to death in sinking sand. My name is Neville D'Angelo. You are on the journey. Along the journey, we stop at intriguing places and meet fascinating people with novel solutions to some of life's tricky little problems. We play a few games, too, and attract the remarkable characters of three classic Soundbite Life, Flight of the Fused Monkeys, and Illicet, A Time to Begin Again. All of which you can get in your favorite format from Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Joshua, thanks for joining us on the journey. My pleasure. What caused you to become a marathoner? Um, well, I started running because I got fat after grad school. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, let me just mention that he doesn't look anything fat, as you can see from his pictures, but go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I was at least 190 the first time I hit a scale and started working out at the gym and eventually found myself on a treadmill. And then the first time I ran outside, I was just hooked. Ah. And uh, I probably ran about a year year and a half and then I entered a race and then that was even more mm -hmm. and um, you know I'm probably 50 pounds lighter than I was then and ran my first marathon after running for about two years uh -huh. and uh, the bug got me and I just kept wanting to see how much faster I could be and how much better I could be as a runner and it just went from there. 
Well, well, what made you go to marathons and not mile? Did you know when you started running and you got that bug that that's what you were going to go for? Or? Not at all. You know, my first race was actually a you know a 10k, 6.2 miles, and I ran that and it was just exhilarating. Uh -huh. And then about a year later, I did a half marathon just to see if I could do it. And then signed up for a marathon and I ran my first marathon. I ran the Marine Corps Marathon in 2003. <laughs> And it was such a emotional experience. I just said, okay, I want to do another one of these, see if I can do better. Mm -hmm. And it just snowballed from there, really. But so what? Uh, what makes it so emotional? What was what was the thing that hooked you? <laughs> you know, I think I think the first one it was just a, rel a relief to be done running. Um, you know, it's it's one of those. I think it's important you suffer your first marathon, and I sure did. <laughs> okay. You know, the last five miles were just excruciating and. You know, there's, there's, it's such an emotional release, you know, and the accomplishment and running the Marine Corps Marathon, having, having a Marine congratulate you and put a medal over your head is, is pretty inspiring, and mm -hmm. I think that played into it for sure. Mm -hmm. Now, you, you did say that you were on the treadmill running, and then mm -hmm. you went outdoors, and of course, you picked it up from there and, and moved on to the marathon. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people run on the treadmill. Yeah. I don't see them necessarily going into marathon. Yeah. So there's something that switched on. Mm -hmm. What yeah. is that? It was just so much more fun because mm -hmm. I was going somewhere mm -hmm. and you got, you know, it's outdoors, you got fresh air, you're running by things. It's It was just so much more exciting. And I think it was only a little three-mile run or something that I did outside, and it was just, this is so much better than that dread, treadmill is what I call it now. <laughs> it's a treadmill. I call it a treadmill anytime I have to run on it now. It's just, oh, it's not the same. <laughs> now, now, were you an athlete before um, grad school? You said you got fat after grad school. Not at all. You weren't involved in athletics at all? No, you know, I, I was in, you know, played football up to, like, middle school, and that was about it. You know, I was a... I was a band kid and wasn't really uh, fit or anything like that. I wasn't fat, but it was, you know, freshman 15 and then the grad school 15 and then probably another 15 when I started teaching and, you know, finally got to the point where I said, I got to do something about this. You know, I'm not supposed to look like this. I'm not supposed to feel like this and just ended up being running is, is where it ended up being. You just told us about Marine Corps Marathon, but you've done several since then. Yes. So give us some insight into those that you've done. Well, I've done um, I've done four of the five marathon majors, which wow. uh, there's five marathon majors. I've done London, Berlin, New York City, and Boston. Uh, the only one I haven't done yet is Chicago, and it just I haven't hasn't worked into my calendar yet. Okay. Um, but I've also done you know a few in Texas. I've done Houston Marathon, and I've done the the White Rock, well, it's called the Dallas Marathon now, but it was White Rock Marathon at the time. I've done that twice. Um, and then I guess I've done the Steamtown Marathon in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and the California International Marathon in Sacramento. So I've done 11 total, and I'll run my 12th in two months. Okay. Uh, we're going to come in. Uh, he is currently preparing for his 12th. Uh, but we want to talk a little bit about those four majors. Do you mind? Yeah. Oh, right. I'd love uh, to. <laughs> which is your favorite of the four? Do you have a favorite? Um, I think Boston is probably everybody's favorite because you have to run a qualifying time to get into Boston. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, the atmosphere, you know, it's really, it's all serious runners that worked really hard to achieve that, that standard to be able to run and just 
the whole city, there's just a buzz about it. Mm -hmm. But, um, I mean, Berlin and London and New York City were certainly amazing as well. But I'd probably put Boston just a little bit ahead of, of those other three. Well, tell us, for those who are not marathoners or those who are not aware of the majors, mm -hmm. uh, tell us what's the difference. And uh, we'll, we'll go through, if you don't mind, each one of them, Berlin. Okay. Uh, uh, well, you know, the five majors... Boston's the only one where you have to run a qualifying time to get in. Mm -hmm. The other ones, you can pretty much just sign up for the race and, and get in. No matter who um, you are. No matter who you are. Although New York City is a very popular international race, so they actually have a lottery for you to get in. Oh, okay. You know, you sign up and then they draw the lottery and, you know, you may get lucky and get in or not. Mm -hmm. um, I was lucky the first year I tried to get in. I, my name was pulled from the lottery, so I was able to run it. Right. Um, which was great, but um, yeah, they they all have their different flavor, you know. New York City's amazing just because you're running in such a great city, and it goes through all five boroughs, mm -hmm. and you know you finish in Central Park, and it's uh, you know the stretch on First Avenue in Manhattan is unbelievable, mm -hmm. um, you know. So that's a great race. London was very similar to New York City, mm -hmm. um, in that you it's a point to point course. You go all the way through town, and it's uh. You know, you get to run past all the iconic places in London, and it's a, uh, you know, that's an amazing race as well. Um, Berlin is, is a different kind of course. I really liked it because it went through old East Berlin and West Berlin, and just the architecture was so different on both. both. You could tell where you were immediately just by looking around at a building. Um, that's the probably the easiest course of all of them because it's really, really flat, and that's actually where I qualified to run Boston for the first time was was in Berlin, mm -hmm. so I really like that that race. And you actually run through the Brandenburg Gate mm -hmm. about 200 meters before the finish, so that's pretty pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, you mentioned uh, two things. One, as an athlete, you're doing this marathon that is grueling. And how many miles mm -hmm. is in a marathon? 26.2. 26.2 miles. Yeah. So here's the person running 26.2 miles, heading for the finish line. But at the same time, you say you're able to experience the the city. Experience oh, definitely. The uh, oh, definitely. Explain yeah. that. You think that it's well, you know, <laughs> running a marathon when you're running, you know, about three hours or so, right. um, you're not in oxygen debt like you're running the mile. Mm -hmm. You know, so um, you know you are able to see what's going on around you, mm -hmm. especially early in the race. You can probably, you know, a lot of times talk with other people that you're running with, um, you know, helps the miles go by for sure. Really? Um, it really isn't until the end when you're really just bearing down and, you know, you're out of glycogen and you're just trying to, to get to the finish that everything's really, really serious. But, um, yeah, really a lot of times there's many, many conversations I've had in marathons, even when I was running fast times that I was, you know, it, it, it helps pass the time, I guess, really. Well, this, this part is fascinating, and when we're back, we're going to get into a little bit more of his marathon running. Uh, I, I could mention you as a track and field athlete. I grew mm -hmm. up as a track and field athlete before I got into other sports. I could not imagine that there's a sport in which you can talk with other athletes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is, this is news to me. Yeah. Uh, we'll be right back. The standing question for today is this. Is your life running on a treadmill? Is your life running on a treadmill?
If you are an athlete, a sports enthusiast, or just thinking about getting yourself into tip-top shape, then go to ryosports.com. That is R-Y-O-S-P-O-R-T-S dot com. Ryosports.com. And if you're looking for a way to start running, you know, check out the Ryo Run page in ryosports.com. We keep it updated with new relevant information. Enjoy. Joshua, when we left you, were telling us about the the marathon and the fact that uh, in each of these cities, you they they have such uh, there are such iconic places that you get to experience the city in mm-hmm. you know in a different way. But take us through a marathon from the beginning. Here you say you're, you're going to run 26.2 miles. In my mind. That morning, I would be awake. I'm like, oh gosh, why did I decide to do this? But <laughs> you're about to do it, so tell us what's going there's, on. There's a little bit of that. Uh, you know, there's always a little bit of fear and trepidation. You know, especially because most people train for a marathon for four months. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a, about a four month schedule that you build up and build up and build up your strength and get ready for this race. Mm-hmm. So there is a little bit of. I hope that I do well in those four months, I didn't do all these sacrifices and all these things and have a bad race. Mm-hmm. So there's certainly a little bit of that. Um, I always feel in the early stages of the races that I want to hit fast forward mm-hmm. because, you know, when when you run a marathon, there's you go through so much emotionally and physically and mentally. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty tough. You know, early in a race, you usually feel, most people feel pretty good physically. Mm-hmm. Um for me, I'm usually nervous because, you know, in the first 10 miles, you're out there and you're trying to establish the pace you want to run for the entire race. Mm-hmm. But for me, I always, I want to know, what am I going to feel like at mile 20? Mm-hmm. And um, I try to find ways to pass the time. Mm-hmm. Um, my last time that I, I ran a personal best was in Scranton, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and the Steamtown Marathon. And about mile four, I was running along and there were three other guys that were about the same pace, and we had run about a half mile together, mm-hmm. and um, and I just said, hey guys, you know what's uh, what kind of times are you looking to run? And we were all about the same time, mm-hmm. so we all just sort of, you know, we didn't, I don't know if we actually verbalized it, but we decided to run together, mm-hmm. and we pretty much stayed together all the way till about mile 16 or 17, and then it just sort of, you know, some of us felt better, some of us felt a little bit worse, and mm-hmm. it sort of broke up, but it really helped those early and middle miles of the race. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I'm always, you know, just hoping that when I get to mile 20, I'm going to feel good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that particular race I did, when I got to mile actually 18, I knew that my goal was in the bag. It was it was uncanny. That I don't know if that will ever happen to me in another race, but I felt so strong mm-hmm. at that point. But, um, you know, it's sort of like a long grind the the fatigue just sort of sneaks up on you mm-hmm. and it usually starts somewhere around halfway mm-hmm. you know between 13 or 22 or something like that it it starts to starts to get to you and it gets a little tougher mm-hmm. and you know like for us the four of us probably from mile 4 to 10 we were chatting like crazy <laughs> and then probably the like the last portion you know that we were together like 14 to 17 I don't think there was a whole lot being said cuz mm-hmm. it was starting to get a little more serious mm-hmm. you know there's there's a few um you know a few people say I I wish I could remember who said this quote but they said you know you run the first 10 miles of a marathon with your head mm-hmm. basically you don't want to go out too fast and 
right. rowing your race. Right. The next ten with your legs, oh. and then the last six with your heart. <laughs> I don't think I totally believe in that, but there's something to be said because it does get progressively more difficult as you go in. Mm-hmm. Obviously, when you've been on your feet for two plus hours, it's it's a lot more difficult to keep the same pace as when you just started at the beginning. Now, what did you say you're not... It, I, I actually like the, the, the sense of what you said. Mm-hmm. You know, you start with your head, you move to your feet, and then you move to your heart. But yeah. why don't you agree with that in total? Well, because you're still using those legs at mile 24. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you may have the heart, but if you don't have the legs, you're not going to get there. <laughs> well, that's a lesson in itself. Yeah. But, you know, uh, we're, we're going to come to that the mental part of any sport or any game. So we'll come back. I'll bring back this point to you <laughs> yeah. again. But yeah, I, I, uh, if you don't have the legs, you can have all the heart that you... Yeah, have all the heart in the world, but if the legs aren't there, you're not yeah. going to get there. Yeah, you're not going to get there. All right. Now, four months of preparation, say, before mm-hmm. the marathon, Yeah. what are you doing in those four months? What's this preparation? Well, it's it's generally you're putting together all the components you need to run the marathon, which, um, you know, you have to build a lot of endurance, obviously, to be able to run mm-hmm. for 26.2 miles. And you also have to build, you know, certain systems in your body to be able to handle the paces you want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, most notably, the, the lactate threshold system, which uh, I'm sure you don't want to hear too much no, science behind it. <laughs> um, but, you know, you want to build that because you need to be able to hold your pace mm-hmm. for that yeah. mm-hmm. extreme amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's sort of the two things you work on. But you're also, along the way, you're working on your speed because, mm-hmm. you know, if you can run a shorter distance faster, that means that the longer distance is obviously proportionally you're going to be faster as well so it's really just a matter of taking yourself in that four-month cycle and just improving 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 getting fitter 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 so that when you get to that race you're in the best possible shape to do whatever you can on that race day now almost in every sport endurance plays a part so Mm -hmm. what do you do specifically to get your endurance up well, really, there's two things. There's there's the weekly mileage, mm-hmm. you know, that it'll start at a certain point and then it'll peak at a certain point. For me, it started, the four-month cycle started at about 50 miles a week mm-hmm. and then it'll peak at about 70 miles a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's also building those long runs. You know, every weekend you do a long run pretty much and those start at about, you know, 14 to 16 and they'll peak at about 22, 23 miles. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really just building... Those two systems, really, that's the primary things that you have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a lot more, you know, science and marathon-specific workouts and speed workouts that are sprinkled in there as well. But uh, really, it's just all about, you know, it's an endurance event. Mm-hmm. You know, marathoners are endurance athletes. You're mm-hmm. building yourself so that you can endure 26.2 miles mm-hmm. as fast as you can on that day. But when you're training... You don't have you're not on you're not training on the course like a track and field athlete he has the mile course the hundred you know you could go on the track yeah. and you could practice so uh, do, you're not in Berlin and London and, yeah. Uh, yeah so how, how do you accumulate these miles what do you do well you know most people will try to 
run similar terrain as the courses. Okay. You know, so if you're doing a hilly marathon, you're probably going to be finding as many hills as you can to run in training so that your body's ready for that. Mm -hmm. If it's a flat marathon, you probably won't run hills quite as much. Mm -hmm. Although most, I think, serious runners run hills frequently just because they make you stronger. Um, So, yeah, there's certainly, when you're running an out-of-town race, you don't have the benefit of running the exact terrain, but you try to replicate it as best as you can. Mm -hmm finding courses, you know, wherever wherever you live. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned the three parts, your, you know, your legs, your head, and your heart. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so when you're in your head for a marathon, what, what describes us what that is? It depends what part of the race. <laughs> for me, the early stages, it, right. and this is just me, I know all marathoners are different. I'm nervous at the start. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm nervous for at least the first half. Because it's just, it's sort of the fear of the unknown because in a marathon and anyone who's run one knows that you can feel amazing one mile and feel like you're just done the next mile. Mm. You know, it can just turn within a mile, within a few minutes, you can go from feeling like, you know, you're going to run a personal best to, oh no, I'm, this is, I'm going to crash and just not finish very strong at all. Mm. It's, um, so for me, I'm nervous wondering if that's going to happen to me. So even after all these uh, marathons, you're still nervous? Yes, yeah. <laughs> Especially because I'm trying to one-up myself. You oh. know, I'm still trying to set personal bests. I'm still mm. trying to raise the bar and, mm. you know, mm. run some really fast times. So it's one of those that sometimes if you miss, the miss might not be small. It may be a, a big a big miss. Oh, okay. Uh, now, now, when you move to the legs, obviously we understand. That's what you're training mm-hmm. for. It's an endurance. Yeah. Um, is there a, is, does the marathon run it differently from other track and field athletes? Um, you know, you're using the legs for so much longer. Is yeah. this a different technique? You or? know, I, I don't think technique-wise, no. It's yeah. it's still just running. Right. Um, you know, a lot of successful marathoners were successful track 10K runners. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's certainly some parallels there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't think physically marathoners do anything different it's just they're out there a lot longer mm-hmm. than, than other other events for you sure you guys just have much more time on your hands yeah <laughs> <laughs> apparently so <laughs> now this part that is assuming your legs are, are are going fine and you said the last portion of the race requires heart mm-hmm. talk to us about that what do you mean well you know it's the you know i gave you the analogy the the head and then the legs right. and then the heart. The one I like better, and it was actually a, a a writer, Scott Douglas said, he simplifies it. He says, um for the for the first half of the race, don't be an idiot. <laughs> you know, don't go out too fast. You right. can't do. In the last half of the race, don't be a wimp. Oh, and I prefer that one a little bit better because it's because it's true. Um it's really easy at the end because, you know, even the best trained marathoners, I mean we're really only we can only store enough sugar in our muscles to run 20 miles. Mm-hmm. When we have to do that last six, it's tough. It's really, really tough. So it's there is a lot of you just can't be a wimp. You mm-hmm. just have to bear down and and do what you can. And um, it, mentally, it's a lot of for me comes from the preparation and the training. Mm-hmm. When I'm doing hard workouts, I'm trying to, you know, when I'm struggling, I'm trying to mentally take myself to. Okay, this is what it's going to feel like at mile 25. Mm-hmm. Q 
keep pushing, keep pushing, so that when I get to the race, it's not a new experience. When, because that's one of the things about a marathon. At some point, it's going to hurt. You know, even my best races. You know, I, uh, one time I ran one marathon where I ran the second half faster than the first half. At some point, it's going to hurt, <laughs> and you just sort of have to embrace it and say, "Well, here it is. It's going to hurt. How much pain can I endure?" Can I keep going at this speed? And hopefully the answer is yes. Well, you just shared some information there about your body can only hold um, sugar enough for about 19 miles. Yeah. So what are you running on for the fumes? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, you know, you can you can load your system with carbohydrates to try to get more energy, and then you take energy gels throughout the race mm-hmm. to hopefully get you through that last portion. Um, ultimately, I think a lot of it does come down to correct pacing, mm-hmm. that if you pace yourself correctly, you can push that line where you're out of energy past the finish line or at least real close to the finish line. You know, they always say the marathon wall, and that's what it is. It's a nutritional wall. It's not a physical wall. It's it's where your body runs out of sugar and it has nothing to run on. Mm-hmm. And it normally happens, they always say it's at mile 20, and mm-hmm. it's... It's there. It's definitely there. Well, I know running the marathon must have some lessons that she can learn for life. And when we return, um, I'm going to ask uh, uh, Joshua to share with us an experience that he had last week. And then we'll find out some of the lessons of life that uh, um, I'm sure he's learned from running his marathons. Is that okay? Yeah, sounds great. Great. Starlings come in search of the secrets, if you will, of our superstars, super athletes, super people, our modern day superheroes who thrill and delight us with their mastery, their skills, their charm, love, the tremendous boost they give to communities of makers and shakers. It turns out there are five secrets. These starlings demand the five and are sent in a quest to acquire them. The hunk I dreamed. For less than a cup of coffee, the hunk I dreamed is an engaging quick read. You'll finish in a flight and return to time and again. Available from Amazon and Barnes & Noble for your digital device. Every athlete, every budding athlete, every achiever and dreamer should acquire it. The five secrets of the hunk I dreamed. The hunk I dreamed. Get it from Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Enjoy. Well, Joshua, in your race 
uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago. You had an experience. <laughs> Would you like to share what happened? <laughs> yeah, I uh, I was running a five-mile race. I like to race about once a month just to uh, really test my fitness, see where I am when I'm you know training for a marathon. And uh, it's just a five-mile race, and there was supposed to be a turnaround cone. I was in second place, and I was all by myself. And the guy who was ahead of me, um, it sort of wound around, you know, some curves. And he was far enough ahead that I didn't see where he turned around. Mm -hmm. Someone stole the turnaround cone. <laughs> and I thought I knew where it was, and I knew based on my time about where it was supposed to be. And I thought it was around the corner. I ran around the corner, and it was the end of the trail. <laughs> oh my so I turned back around, and then I realized, well, my race was over. And I said, well, I thought, okay, well everybody's going to run too far. So I actually stopped at the turnaround mm -hmm. and directed traffic for the rest of the race. Said, hey, everyone, they stole our cone. Go ahead and turn around. <laughs> Turns out there was another race in the same General Parks area. Mm -hmm. And one of the volunteers got a little overzealous and mm -hmm. thought the cone was in the wrong place, right, right. which for their race it was. <laughs> but uh, the race we were running, it was in the correct place. So um, Anyway, I just ended up staying at the turnaround point and just directing traffic the whole way and saying, hey, this is the turnaround, this is the turnaround. So uh, I didn't get my personal race experience, but at least I helped out some others, uh, you know, run exactly five miles instead of tacking on an extra half mile like I ended up doing. You could have just dropped out of the race, got mad, says, okay. Uh, you know, well, I wasn't happy, to be honest. Right I, I'm, I'm sure I, was, I was running real well. I was probably going to run a personal best at that distance. Right. I wasn't happy, but then when I thought about it and I knew my race was done, right. I mean, I could have run it back in and probably still been second. It would have been fine, but um, I realized, okay, everybody's going to miss the turn. It's going to ruin the whole race. I said, well, I'll, you know, I'll drop out here and direct traffic. And, that's yeah. good. That's, that's pretty cool. Are there other life lessons that you learn from running? Oh, definitely. You know, um, do you know Oprah Winfrey ran a marathon? Yes. Her quote is one of the best ones. She said the marathon's the best metaphor for life because you get into it what you put into it. You get out of it what you put into it. Uh. So, uh, you know, that's that's certainly it because when you get to that starting line, you know, you can't hide from what your fitness really is. Right. You know, you can't go through the motions when you're doing your speed workouts or your long runs. You know, your body's going to do what it's going to do based on how well you prepared for it. So if you didn't really prepare... It's it's gonna be you yeah, know yeah. pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah, right, so it's a it's a good lesson. And did you uh, was there any time uh, that you dropped out of a marathon? Not a marathon, no. Right. Actually, this race with the cone is the only time I've ever officially dropped out well, of a race. <laughs> that's a, that's yeah. a good reason. Good I mean, there's there's times I've wanted to. <laughs> My, so what kept you going? Just you know, you hate to be a quitter. <laughs> Even, you know, my second marathon was my slowest, and it was a terrible experience. It was one of those that I set my goals too high, went in a little overambitious, and it was a warm day, and I just had an awful race. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, set my personal worst time, hopefully for a long time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I could have dropped out, but it was just one of those, you know, at one point I was walking, and I said, if I have to walk the last four miles to get to the finish, I'm going to walk the last four miles. I'm not dropping out of this race. Mm. But Joshua, is there any time that it could be the right time to quit, whether in life or in the, in, in in a marathon? Well, I think in a marathon, if you're if you've injured yourself, 
or are in the process of injuring yourself or something like that, certainly finishing that race is less important than, you know, the long-term ramifications of, you know, hurting yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, Elite athletes oftentimes will drop out of a marathon if they're not having a great race because um, the recovery time after a marathon is so great. So for them, you know, they're running for a living. Mm -hmm. They need to be able to recover quickly. So if they realize at mile 16 that it's not their day, a lot of times they will drop out. But that's a different case. I think for those of us who are amateur athletes, Mm -hmm. most of the time we're going to finish. But, you know, I certainly think if it's a case where, you know, I may injure myself worse by continuing Mm -hmm. then that would probably be about the the thing that would cause me to to pull out of a race Mm. now if a person who is listening to to this begin to think to themselves okay i need to get out there and start running and Mm -hmm. they they don't know if they're going to go for a 5k if they're going to go for a marathon they're just having the thoughts for the first time yes what would you tell them to do next? So that now that they have the thought, they've never run this race. Yeah. Oprah has done it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, what will you tell them? How do they get prepared? What do they do? Well, I'd say don't jump right into a marathon for sure. <laughs> um, you know, I I ran my first marathon. I'd been running almost two years. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times people get a little wide-eyed and they get excited and they jump in too much. And you know, if they don't have a you know a, a base of running you know to jump into a marathon training cycle it's it's you know more likely you're going to hurt yourself than than uh be able to make it through um you know what i did i built up slowly i remember the first time i ran i think uh it was on the treadmill i might have run a mile or two mm-hmm. you know total um and just slowly built into it i ran a 10k and then i ran a 15k and how, then how I, long were you running a mile or two before you went into the 10k probably nine months Okay. I think um, might have been a little less because well, it was summer, so I started running in December. So it was probably about six months before I had built up to that distance. So I took it really slowly, and I think that's important. I have you know, people ask me all the time who are non-runners that know I'm a runner. They they'll say something like, "Oh, I'm, you know, my legs are so beat up." I said, "Well, how often are you running? I'm running seven days a week." No, no, <laughs> you shouldn't be running seven days a week. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's a, a lot of times people get excited about it, endorphins and exercise, and they mm-hmm. see that their clothes are fitting better, and mm-hmm. uh, they try to do too much too soon, and then they hurt themselves, and then they're out of the sport for good, mm-hmm. and it's really unfortunate. And I think a lot of them, if they just slowed down and took, okay, I'm going to take X amount of months, and I'm going to build up to a 10K, and then maybe take nine months and I'm going to run a half marathon, and then maybe think about doing the marathon, I think they're going to be a lot better off um, you know, doing it that way, just taking things a lot more slowly. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming too, if they either run with friends or run with a club, you run for a club, right? I I, I run on Team Luke's for Luke's Locker, mm-hmm. and then I also have a uh, a training group called called the Dallas Running Project that that I train with as well. Mm-hmm. So, are any of these either the club or the group athletic people who are starting from the beginning, or are they those both? those groups are more you know for the serious um you know a little more experienced runners but um you know i know luke's has a uh they call it grassroots running and mm-hmm. they have a lot of um you know a lot of classes that you can take you can sign up to like a couch to 5k program right. you know which would be a beginner program and then they have um a enormous um marathon training program and i've run with some of their 
training groups on occasion, you know, hundreds of people showing up Saturday mornings down at White Rock Lake and, you know, putting in their 20 milers together. And it's certainly a, a good way to do that um, is to definitely get with a get with a training group or, you know, a running club like I run with the Plano Pacers sometimes as well. Mm. Um, misery loves company, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it takes a lot of time to do this. But how do you carve out that time? Is it is it as difficult as it might seem to somebody who hasn't done it, or, or where? Yes, in a lot of ways it is, um, but it all depends, you know, how much commitment you're putting into it. You know, for me, like right now, I'm running, you know, 60 to 70 miles a week, mm -hmm. so I'm up every morning at about 4:30 to do my training. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of times when I'm in heavy training like this, it's wake up, do my run, go to work come home, go to bed so I can run, you know, the next morning. So there's, um, you know, a lot of people say, well, you make a lot of sacrifices to train like that. And I, I don't look at it as a sacrifice. I look at it as a choice. Mm -hmm. You know, if I have a goal and I have a dream of what I want to do, mm -hmm. this is what I have to do to get there. Mm -hmm. So that means I'm going to bed at 8.30 so I can get enough sleep to be ready to run, you know, 12 miles tomorrow morning. Then that's what I do. Is it? Are you looking for a dream time for one of your um, marathons? Well, I am. I'm. I'm training for the California International Marathon. It's in Sacramento, and uh, my goal is to to run. I want to break two hours fifty minutes. Ah. So that's that's my goal, and that's what I'm sort of. Uh, that's what I'm training really hard for right now. So you, what does it feel like when you? I'm sure you've set goals along the way as mm -hmm. you've run the, the others. What does it feel like when you either break that, reach that goal, or not reach the goal? And tell us whether you've been reaching the goal yeah. all along the way. Um, when you reach the goal, I mean, it's just, you know, you validate all the hard work you've done, and you just revel in, you know, the accomplishment that you've done. Mm -hmm. And obviously, it's, a, it's such a great moment. When you don't reach your goal, for me, it's just a matter of reflecting, okay, why didn't I reach the goal? Did I just have a bad day or did I not train hard enough or not do this kind of training enough or what can I do so that next time I do reach that goal? Mm -hmm. You know, it's always a, you know, a, just a reanalyzing what happened, why, and where do we go from here? Well, running a marathon takes rhythm, and of course, <laughs> you're a musician with your choir yeah. as well. T tell me, we, ha we haven't said anything about that part of you. Yeah, I'm a high school orchestra director, mm -hmm. and, um, and this is my 14th year doing that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of parallels between music and, and running. Mm -hmm. Not just the rhythm, but uh, the preparation side of things. Mm -hmm. You know, I think back to... Um, well, even now when I'm preparing my groups for concerts, it's a lot like myself preparing myself for a race. It's, mm -hmm. It takes long-term planning. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of details. It takes a lot of figuring out which component of, in that case, music that we need to work on so that when we get to a performance that we give a great performance. So there's really a lot of uh, parallels. And, you know, one of the big parallels, I think, is the mental side of things. You know, I think um, all the best musicians are very mentally strong people, and I think a lot of them, and I have friends who are musicians that, you know, became runners, and they become pretty good runners because they're, you know, mentally strong and mm -hmm. able to, you know, push their bodies when it when it hurts. Mm -hmm. 
Why did you decide um, to become a band director? What what? My uh, my grandfather was a band director. Oh. So um, you know, I I started playing trumpet in fifth grade because he was a trumpet player, and you know, I really emulated him growing up, mm-hmm. and. Um, there was no conscious decision. I just remember when I started looking for colleges, I was only looking at schools of music. Mm-hmm. So then I did a bachelor's of uh, music education degree at Youngstown State University, which is Youngstown, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And then I did a master's in music performance and instrumental conducting at the University of Kentucky. Mm-hmm. So uh, I went straight through and got those two degrees and then um, started teaching high school orchestra and um, been doing it ever since, and I love it. You know, we uh, we were national winner of a competition last year, and we got on a commended list this year. And it's a uh, I'm fortunate. We have um, I actually moved to Plano to be part of the music program, the music department in Plano. Mm-hmm. I was living in Atlanta, Georgia at the time, oh. and um, you know was looking for you know to be a place where there was a tradition of excellence and high standards and high expectations, and um, wanted to be part of that. So I was lucky enough to get into the the school district of Plano, and and uh, I've been here for it's my eleventh year here. Mm-hmm. Tell me your three favorite or superheroes. Okay. And your three favorite super athletes. Okay. So favorite superheroes. Right. I should say the Flash, as I'm a runner, but um, <laughs> that's probably not true. Um, I'd probably say, uh, well, growing up, it was always Spider-Man. Okay. And then I think as I got older, probably Batman, especially okay. the last few movies, um, and um, maybe Iron Man. Maybe those are the three. Okay, so you've got Spider-Man, mm-hmm. Batman, yeah. and Iron Man. Yeah. Iron Man. And who are your three favorite athletes? Favorite athletes. Super athletes. Um, Lance Armstrong. Lance Armstrong. Um, I'm a lifelong Pittsburgh Steelers fan, so I have to say Heinz Ward. Um, and probably Mario Lemieux, hockey player from Pittsburgh as well. Okay, and Mario Lemieux. Is it? I didn't. Lemieux. Lemieux. Yeah. Okay, I have to check him out. Right? <laughs> much about well, him. he's he's retired uh, maybe ten years now. That's he's why. actually one. Of, he's actually one of the owners of the team. But oh, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Or do you want current athletes? No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> You'll need them. All right. <laughs> It's game time here on The Journey, your chance to become the silent superhero. Here's the dilemma. A child is stuck in sinking sand 26.2 miles away from where you are, Josh. You are her only hope. Only you can reach her. You must get to her in two hours and 15 minutes or she will be sucked into oblivion. Josh, you'll need help for your transformation into a superhero that can save this child. What personal attribute or skill will you keep? And what attribute or skill will you accept from each of five of your combination of six superheroes and super-athletes in this effort to transform into a silent superhero and save this wonderful child? 
Josh, oops, you're about to lose one of your helpers, and the only way to get to this poor child is by foot. Okay. Give me between one and six a number. Four. You have just lost Batman. <laughs> okay. So, okay. So... Tell us, what will you take from each of those six, except Batman, that will help you go and save that child? I'll take Lance Armstrong's endurance. Okay. <laughs> um, Mario Lemieux's um, fighting power. Not like hockey fighting, but uh, he had cancer uh-huh. and fought back. And actually, one year he missed something like 30 games and still won the scoring title. He left missed 30 games for radiation treatments. Yeah. So I guess that that inner fight. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Um, take Iron Man's confidence. Okay. Um, who do I left? Heinz Ward, I'll take his uh, enthusiasm, I guess. And um, especially if it gets tough to get down there. And um, Spider-Man. Hmm. I think Spider-Man was always humble. I'll take his humility, I yes. guess. Yeah. And what will you keep from yourself? Um, I guess my never-give-up mentality, I guess. Yeah. Well, Joshua Thompson, you just saved a baby. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> right. Well, I'm pleased that you were willing to join us on the journey. It was my pleasure. And I look forward to having you again with Steve and Cliff. Okay. Thank you so much. All right, thanks. <laughs> Podcasts of our many stops along the journey are available to you free. Feel free to download or share them. You might want to check out Where in the World is Judah? Featuring Judah Epstein doing the Jungle Marathon. Or what about Grant Solomon on the Rise, featuring Grant Solomon, one of Texas Junior Davis Cup team members. Or How I Got to Law School, featuring David Kutzer. Or Dealing with Defeat. If you're a Supernatural TV series fan or a fan of Vampire Diaries, you might enjoy the fun of Supernatural TV fangirls playing Blankety Blank. Or if you're a poet, you will definitely love Verse and Rhyme, Oak Cliff Cultural Center. There are, of course, an array of podcasts to suit your mood and tastes. Authors, athletes, actors, singers. Have at them. They're yours. Free. As swift as life is, it is a marathon. You'll get out of it what you put into it. See you next week. This is the man that has changed the face of the marathon more than anybody else, I think. He has shown that the key hour barrier, Larry, is no longer science fiction fantasy. The two-hour barrier in the marathon is going to happen. It's going to happen in our lifetime, and this is the kind of guy that can do it.
as he closes in on the finish line, he will be the fastest man to ever run the IMG New York City Marathon in its 42-year history. Joffrey Mutai wins the IMG race in just over two hours.